Acts 27, thank the Lord Jesus. Let's just pray. want the Lord to speak to us tonight. Amen. Hallelujah, my God. Father, we come before you tonight, my God. We do thank you, my God, for the privilege of coming around your word, my Lord Jesus. And we do pray that as we go through this chapter tonight, my Lord, we just pray that the Holy Spirit, my God, administer to us, my Lord. That, Lord, that we can take heed to your promises that you give us, my God. And, Lord, give us rest in you, my God. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, we're now in the last stages of the book of Acts. We've got two chapters. We're going to do chapter 27 tonight. Um, low, most of it is just narrative. That means it's just telling the story what's going on. But we're going to get through it. And we're just going to take it a piece at a time. And... We'll just see what the Holy Spirit's got for us, eh? So Acts 27, verse 1. And he said, And when it was decided that we should set sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some of other prisoners, one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering the ship, I can't even say that, that word, Andrea, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia, Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us, and the next day we landed at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. And when we were put from the sea, from there we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which was of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia, there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. And when we had sailed slowly for many days, and arrived with difficulty of Snidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of the Crete of Salom, Salmon, passing over it with difficulty, and came to the place called Fair Havens, which is near the city Lacey. Well, there's some words there, aren't they? Um, basically Paul's now on his journey to Rome remember in the book of Acts at the start of Paul's ministry he was told he's going to bear witness in Rome wasn't he I think that was Acts chapter 9 we're now in Acts 27 and God's still getting him to Rome you know this is it, this is it now and Paul later on in this chapter he, start, he even says that God's told me I'm going to Rome you know what's the chances Paul's not going to make it there He's going there, isn't he? You know, and that's, and that's what I want us to, in the back of your mind, just think that tonight as we go through this message. What are the chances? You see, now Paul, he swapped ships here. He's just making his way there, going through all these cities past Crete. And in verse 9 and 12, it says, Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised him, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage went in disaster and much lost, not only for cargo, cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbour was not suitable to wintering, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbour of Crete, Opening towards the southwest and the northwest and winter there. So now we know this is going to be the end of September. 
and October time now, AD 59. Why? Because the fast that he is on about is the Jewish feast of the Day of Atonement, which this particular year was October the 5th. And he knew from November to February you can't sell MCs because he's so dangerous. Now, the Day of Atonement, what that was, that was the only day once a year that the priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. Where, he'd, where they'd make a sacrifice, they'd have a sacrifice of lamb, they'd have a, two lambs. One was a scapegoat, what they say the sins of the people would be on, and they'd release it into the wilderness, and they'd watch it go until it's disappeared, like their sins have gone. They remember their sins no more. And the other sacrifice, the blood was taken, the only time the high priest could enter into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, and there he sprinkled the blood of that lamb that their sins are forgiven. Once a year, the priest could go and ask for his sins to be forgiven. How many times a year can you go into the most holy place? Never ending. Every day. Any minute. You know, do you realise you've got a much more privileged position than at the time the most holy man in Israel had? What position? And, that, and this is the question. How much do we use that privilege? How much do we go into the most holy place? Is it only for our times? Or, is it, or are we just there because we want a fellowship with God? You know, God ain't just for the hard times, you know. It's for all the time. But Paul said, he says he perceived that their voyage went in disaster. Now Paul is, this is not a direct revelation from God. When you read through the letters, by this point he's been in shipwrecks Three times. Paul knows what's coming. You know, have you ever seen the film The Great Outdoors? John Candy film? There's a man who got struck by lightning seven times in it. He says halfway through the film, he heard the thunder, and the man would be looking about like that, because he knew what was coming. Paul knew what was coming, because he's been took through it so many times, and no, no one takes notice. You know, he's warning of a disaster to come, isn't he? But we're warning of a future disaster to come, aren't we? We've got the same message. There's, there's a disaster coming, and the world don't take notice. Do you know the Bible, the Bible says that he's going to judge the world in righteousness? That, in wrath, that wrath is coming upon this world. That if we believe the rapture, that we believe that the church can be taken at any point, if we believe that, What's left for the unsaved that are left upon the earth? What's coming for them? You know, it should give us more of a burden to witness to the lost, shouldn't it? If we know what's coming, that I think, correct me if I'm wrong, by halfway, the majority of the world's population is wiped out after three and a half years. And that's, that's, that's a future event. If we go tonight, listen, the rapture don't start the tribulation, but could only be a few years and it could be our loved ones involved in it. It should give us a sense of urgency. You know, we, we're not divs, are we? We're not standing about, on, standing about on the roads with signs saying the end is nigh. But we've got the message, haven't we? Use any means to win them. Any, you know, if that's the message you can use, use it. If it's love, love of God, use it. If it's fear, use it. But tell them the message of our Saviour. We've got to tell them the message. You know, and it's, it's coming. And look, I've got family the same as you. 
Without Jesus, there's no hope. Without him, there's no hope. But the, lead, the leader of the ship, all he took notice was, was the helmsman. What does Paul know? He said, no, we'll be all right. We'll get through this. Take notice of him. So, so what he, basically what he said was, we'll get a few miles up the road and we'll stop. But we'll find out Paul's right. In verse 13 it says, And when the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their desire, pulling out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. So when, so when the ship was caught and could not head, head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured a skiff with difficulty. Then when they had taken it on board, they used cables to un undergird the ship, fearing lest they should run aground on Sitis sands, and they struck sail and were so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. And on the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat upon us, all hope that we would be saved was, what saved was finally given up. So now, basically what's happened here, they ain't took notice of Paul. Further up, there's now a mighty wind upon this sea, upon the Mediterranean. They've, now that the boat's just driven, they can't even drive the boat or, or sail it. They're just making it as safe as possible not to run, run aground, not to sink. And now they've, just, they've chucked all their, all their stuff overboard. It's getting, it's getting worse. I think by now, I think half of us are thinking we should listen to Paul. But now, it's got to the point now, it's given up hope. Let's give up. It's got so dark, they can't see the sky. Now, when people, even today, if, if everything fails upon a ship today, they can govern, govern where they go by the stars. They can map the, the seas by the stars and know where to drive the boat. They had no direction at all. They didn't know where they was at. It was like they was in no man's land and in pure darkness. That's what they was in. Now, listen, the darkest place I've ever been was the Bible College in Wales. That is the darkest place. That is literally the darkest place I've been. I remember the first time I went up there, we went out... I think it was 6 o'clock in the morning for prayer, and you couldn't see that in front of your face. Right? I'd, I'm not trashed of the dark. Right? I'm trashed of idiots jumping out on you in the dark. That's what I'm trashed of. But that, I thought, and because when you see things like that, you think, what is, that's what out, surely, that's dark and I can't see me end. Imagine what outer darkness is going to be like. What the unsaved are going to see. Imagine that. And, that's, and that's, they're in a darkness where there's, there's no hope. They're never going to feel love again. They're never, never going to... They'd want God, but they're never going to find God. They're going to have the opportunity and never find him. Loneliness. Has any of you ever been lonely? It's an horrible thing, isn't it? But imagine that for eternity. It's, it's petrifying, isn't it? To be in that sort, even that sort of thinking. But then Paul, he says, but after a long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me and have not sailed from Crete 
and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, to whom I belong, and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid. Paul, you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, take heart, men, for I believe God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, Paul could have gone into one here, couldn't he? You know, he was right. He was right. He could have pointed the finger, you should have listened to me, I knew best. Listen, when you was younger and your mum and dad used to tell you something, look, that was right. But you've done the opposite anyway. And then when you come back and you tell them what you've done wrong, they go, well, I told you what to do, didn't I? I was right, wasn't I? And they put themselves in the right. Paul could have done that, couldn't he? He could have stood amongst all them men and put himself in the right and put them in the wrong. What good would it have done? What good would it have done in pointing fingers? It's nothing, would it? They know they're wrong. It's like telling someone they've got to pray more. They know they've got to pray. It's, it's, they know what they're doing is wrong. But what does he do? He says, instead of, instead of going into one, he says, instead of going into one, he says, but, but I urge you, he says, take heart. That's better, isn't it? Words of kindness and encouragement are better than just telling someone they're wrong, isn't it? It's a lot better. Do you know, you win more brothers and sisters in Christ, you know. There'll be closer relationships amongst one another if we don't point the finger, if we just... Because, let's be fair, who's the only one who can point the finger? Sonny the Lord. Isn't it, really? Sonny, him who has got the right, he's the only one that's lived the perfect, sinless life. He's the only one that can. But what did he give us? He gave us grace. That's what Jesus done. And he's the only one who has got the right. We haven't got the right, right to point fingers at one another. I haven't got the right to do it to you, and you haven't got the right to do it to me. But you know what we can do? Is show one another encouragement and love. Amen. We can show that. Because that wins a lot more. Because, listen, it's not, it's not nice. Especially if look, they're in a situation as well. Well, these men have got no hope, and Paul's taken the opportunity to give them hope. Now, now he's got a chance to witness to these people and give them, give them God, hasn't he? That's the opportunity. See, what I like about the Apostle Paul, this is what I like about him. He turns any opportunity for an opportunity to witness. Anything, all the time. Now, myself, if I was in this situation Paul was in, I don't think I'd be, honestly, like a man like Paul. I'd probably be looking for the nearest barrel or piece of wood that this is going to sink, I need to float to shore. But how much faith has Paul got? It's unbelievable the faith that he's got. But what we see in this, you see, we see the sovereignty of God in this. That God's in control. That's what we do see. Because he says here, do not be afraid. An angel's gone to Paul and he says, do not be afraid, Paul, for you must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sell with you. So God, he's been told he's going to go to Caesar. You know, God ain't told him how he's going to get there. Paul knew in the early, you know, Acts chapter 9 or whatever, he said, look, you're going to Rome, 
Rome's ear. In between that, Paul don't know what's going to go on, does he? We know he's been, you know, he's, he's been imprisonment, he's been beaten, he's been shipwrecked. Now he's in another storm. He's been left for dead. You know, he says, in fact, one time they beat him, threw him out of the city and thought he was dead, and he got up and walked back in and preached. And that was it. In between there and there, he never had a clue what was coming. But you know what Paul's faith was? Right, I know that, Lord, and I know that. And I believe you're going to get me to there. That was it. Whatever happens in between, Paul's faith was, you're said, I'm getting there, Lord. So that's where my faith is at in you. You see, and even when we read through this, he's not looking at circumstances. The trouble with me and you sometimes, we can look at the circumstance that we're in. And we think, well, that's it, that's the end all. It's not. It's just another thing, it's another bump in the road, something that's going to happen, but we're going to come out the other side of it. You know, it goes before us. The sheep follow the shepherd. It gets us through the other side. There's something, a little word called faith that we've got to have. That's why, that's why I think, I don't know if Joseph preached it the other week, the faith was a mustard seed. Ain't got to be great faith. Faith. If you have, I, mean, I remember Andy James brought me back a bookmark from Israel. And he had on it this mustard seeds. Right? Could have been, could have been anything, couldn't it? Right, I don't know. Right? But it, was, it said it's mustard seeds. Dear little tiny things. And I thought, and that's the only faith you need. And he says, with that, you can say to this man, get up, be cast into the sea. Imagine what great faith can do if a, if a small faith can accomplish that. You're saying that God's promised Paul is going to get there. Where has God promised our destination? Our final destination. Where's it going to be? Jesus said, Behold, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And if I've gone to build there, I'm going to come back and receive you to myself. Right? That's a promise. That's, that's what that is. That's called a promise of the Lord. What are the chances that's going to happen? 100%. Right. We said 100%. Right? Correct. But surely in between, we can't keep faltering in between. between look, you've said this to us, Lord, and we're going to get there. We've got to try and be men. Look, Paul said, imitate me as I am in Christ. That's what Paul said. We've got to imitate Paul as he is in Christ here, surely, haven't we? Because to him, a shipwreck might, to us might not be a big thing, especially nowadays. But there's other storms that we're in, aren't they? Every hard, hardship we go through is a storm. Everything's a storm that we go through, isn't it? Some are harder than others. I've had ones that are easy to get through. This took me a few days. Some I ain't over yet, and it's been years. But the destination, we faith's in him. He's promised we're going to get there, and that's where we've got to look to. We can't look at what's happening now. Because if we're going to look at the situation that's now, we'll just be crushed. That's what happens. We look to Christ. We look to Christ. You know, and, and then in 27 it says, Now when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. 
And they took surroundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest they should run aground on the rocks, they dropped the four anchors from the stone and prayed for the day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, and when they had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out the anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it off to fall. So now, these, uh, they, they know, these sailors know they're near dry land. I don't know where, but they know. Right? Some of them are planning to escape. But what struck me here was when Paul said, unless these men stay in the ship, you can't be saved. Right? He's already promised Paul. Paul's already told him here. Before this, God's promised to get you through the other side. Whose responsibility was it to stay in the ship? It's the man's responsibility, isn't it? So you've got the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility in the same passage. Do you understand? We, uh, we're saved. My faith's in Christ. I've got, look, I, I can keep myself saved for a minute. Faith's in him, 100%. But God's give us responsibility. He's give us responsibility. And in fact, Hebrews tells us, he says, if a man drifts, he says, if a man apostates, Hebrews chapter 6, and turns his back completely on the Lord and goes away, it's impossible for him to repent. There's a responsibility there. You know, we can take all one way. We've we got, we got to look at scriptures with, with both eyes open. Our salvation's in Jesus Christ, 100%. But God ain't going to force you to stay. He don't force you. You know, if people want to walk and leave him, that's why I think, I don't he might, I said Joseph preached here, could have done, about, about grace, who people say, yeah, we're saved by grace. They live a Calvinistic lifestyle, I'm a Calvinist or whatever, and go and live completely like the world. And then when you talk to them, no, I'm born again. I'm going to heaven, Jesus said. Well, Paul said, should I sin more that grace should abound? God forbid, he said, no way. We've got responsibility as Christians. In fact, ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors, we're spokespeople for Christ. We've got responsibility. In fact, you know, one of the most responsible abilities that we have as Christians is to be holy. That's our responsibility. Because Hebrews again tells us, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Forget it. Forget it. Am I teaching work salvation? No. We can't work to be saved. But don't tell me you can be a Christian and live how you want and, don't, and can't be holy. Because you're not a Christian. Being a Christian, holiness is on par with it. God said, be ye holy, for I am holy. When he set, when you, his people, when he set apart Israel in the book of Leviticus, be holy for I am holy. You've got to be a light to the surrounding nations. He tells us to be holy. Holiness is preached all the way through the New Testament. How can we live a life that's not holy? Because, yeah, but you don't understand. 
I'm a traveller, aren't I? See, I can do these things. It don't, you know, listen, we're Christians first. You know, when we're born again, travel a bit comes second. That comes second, forget it. You know your family's ways, my family's ways, the ways we used to go on, ways we used to get offended, ways we think we could talk to people, that takes the back seat. We've got to strive for holiness. We've got to strive to live a life that's pleasing to Jesus Christ. That when people look at us, they should see something different. Not that we sell Jesus, but they should look at us and think, like Peter said, they're crazy because you don't do the things that they do. We shouldn't even think the way the, way the world thinks. We're set apart. When God set us apart, that means all the world's here. Everyone is. Everyone in our unsaved families here. Everyone we know is unsaved is here. And he set us apart and he took us and he put us over here. And we've got to be a light. We've got to be a light to that lot there and they've got to get to there. That's what God set us apart to be. Holy. But you know, if we're not, he just puts us back. He just puts us back there. That's where we are. We might as well just be there. Because who are we going to win? We won't win no one. Worldliness don't win no one. Do you know why you do? It make the false convert act, act just like a worldly, just say they've got the name as a Christian. That's all it does. We've got to live holy, righteous lives. And you know the way to do that? You take that and apply it to your life. Where I'm wrong and that's right, I've got to bow the knee and go, right, I've got to go this way from there on. It's God's way, it's not our way, is it? And then it says, and as the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them to take food, saying, today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they themselves were encouraged and took food for themselves. And, all in, and in all were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lined the ship and threw the wheat into the sea. There's a man... Telling you, he's told them all the way. There's a storm always. And what's he done? It really, when you just read it through, it says, it just reminds you like he's taking the Lord's table, doesn't it? When you just read it, it just says, and when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. So there's a storm going on. There's nothing left in the midst of chaos. And what did Paul do? Give thanks. What a man of God. What a man. Now, because I was reading this this week and I thought, God, Lord, I don't have half the things, a minute thing compared to this happened to me, and I can prop the squill over it. I can prop the thing, oh, poor me. Do you know what? Sometimes I've just got to grow up. As simple as that. I think, oh, Lord, give thanks and all that. He's with a load of unsaved men. Well, we know Luke's with him and a couple of others, but there's loads of unsaved men there. He's give thanks in the presence of them all. But like, he's give thanks. What didn't he pray for? He didn't pray, Lord, get me out of this storm. Or he didn't pray, Lord, take the storm from me, did he? 
I think, well, myself, I think I'd have probably prayed that, take the storm away or get me out of here. But no, Paul, Paul gave thanks. The storms are for our learning. Do you know God built your biblical character, the character that we should have as Christians through storms in our life? Even though we ain't got a clue, we can only see when we're in the storm, can't we? I can't see up there or what's coming. All I know, there's an end one day. But while I'm in that storm, I've got to spend time with Jesus. That's it. And sometimes you might be just hanging on by a thread for a storm. You might just be hanging on for dear life. But hang on. But listen, you've got to hang on to get through the storm. Because they're all right, leave them, they're all right. But listen, because every one of us in the future are going to go through, some of you are going through things, but sooner or later, storms are going to come. And there's going to be things you think you can handle that you can't. And things that you thought you couldn't, which you can. But there's one common thing that you've got to hang on to all the way through each one, and that's Jesus Christ. Because if I don't pray for a storm, if I'm not having fellowship with God for a storm, I'm just going to be like on this ship, those 14 days in, in darkness. Christ is the light. I've got to spend time with the light. And he'll get us through it. But listen, Paul knew, didn't he? That's faith. Paul knew he was coming out the other side. And that's what you and me have got to have to know we're coming out the other side. But what did he do? When we go through a storm, it gave Paul an opportunity to share about Jesus Christ. You know when God's done something for us? When he's done something and took us from an hardship and everyone's seen it. Everyone's seen what God's done. Don't hide it up. Tell someone... You know, what's God ever done for you? I'll tell you what he's done for me. I was going through this hardship and he got me through it. Tell someone. I remember years ago, I suppose, well, when I was a boy, really, with Ash Green. They'd go, they'd say, right, can anyone give a testimony of what God's done for them this week? What's God done for you this week? And someone would get up every week and say, right, I was doing this this week and God done that. Might have just helped them get a bit of work. Or just helping them through something. But it's giving thanks to God. We spend so much time petitioning God. We don't give thanks. When was the last time in here that we sat and gave thanks? Because there's been tons of miracles happening here, haven't they? There's been prayers answered. When did we spend the time giving thanks to God? It's true, isn't it? Listen, in my own life, just in my own life, well, I've got a prayer book home and I've got ticks on it, what God's answered. You know, sometimes you forget, you know, we've got to spend time giving thanks. You know, give thanks. And the last verse is, he said, When it was day, they did not recognise the land, but they observed a bay on the beach in which they planned to run a ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left him in the sea. Meanwhile, loosening the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to set wind and make for shore. But striking a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and, and the prow struck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them escape, lest any of them should swim away and escape. 
But a centurion wanting to save Paul kept, kept them for their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land and the rest on some boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was, they all escaped safely to land. So there was 276 persons on the ship at the start and all 276 got to the dry land, just like God had said. And listen, the ship was broken up in the meantime, but I want you to be encouraged because I know, especially the days coming, this world's getting worse and worse. This country's getting worse and worse. There's going to be laws passed that's going to make it difficult for us to have meetings in here soon. All it takes is someone to come in here, disagree with something we say, don't even have to be eight speech or on a topic, and we can get shut down. Difficult times are coming. Times are in when people, are, and people in this country are pe- preaching on our streets and again arrested in Great Britain. Not Muslim countries, in Great Britain. These are times when we've got to draw close to the law more than ever. The Bible says when these things happen, the day's fast approaching. When these things begin to happen, the Bible says, lift up your heads, Luke tells us. Look up, for your redemption draws near. These are the times to look up. I've got a scripture in Hebrews 7.25. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, turn to it. Hebrews 7.25. Just to encourage us that if you can mark it out in your Bible, I've got it in a few translations, mark it out. Because this scripture encourages me a lot. Kiss an amen when you got it. Hebrews 7.25. He's got it. It says this. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, he is also able to save us to the uttermost, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So what does that mean? He can save us completely. And all the time, he's talking to the Father on my behalf. When I let him down, when I've sinned, when I'm going through something, when I ain't been as faithful as I should, I've got an advocate with the Father. My Lord Jesus intercedes on my behalf and speaks to the Father for me. And that's encouragement. And I've got it in other versions. The New American Standard says, Therefore he's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make an intercession for them. Just mark the words, it's forever, always. So that forever is eternity. Always doesn't stop, does it? Uh, the New Living Translation. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those to come to God, who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. The Amplified Bible. Therefore, he is able to save forever, completely, perfectly, for eternity, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to, to intercede and intervene on their behalf with God. And then finally, the Christian Standard Version. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. Our encouraging is that, that it don't matter how I feel, 
Well, it doesn't matter how I feel inside, because some days I don't, you wake up and you think, I don't even feel like a Christian. You might be going through such hardship, you think, just, I ain't got it in me no more. But do you know what this scripture ain't based on? It's not based on me and you. It's based on that he can save to the outermost. Jesus Christ saves completely. And it ain't about my faithfulness here. Because I let God down every day. But the fact is that when I'm faithless, the Bible said he is faithful. And that he intercedes. That means, look, John ain't the father. Johnny ain't done that good today. But I'll tell you what, let me speak to him on your behalf. That's what he does. And ain't that good? Ain't that encouraging that you think, well, Lord, because tomorrow might be different. But today's an hard day. But Jesus is speaking for me today. And that's encouragement, brothers and sisters. So don't matter whatever you're going through in this place, no matter what's coming and going, just remember this. He is faithful when we're faithless. Amen. Let's pray. Hallelujah, Lord.